Romans chapter 12, and we're going to go back a bit because uh, I was on the cruise, Connie and I were on the cruise first, and then a couple of Thursdays, so we're going to take a step back because in verse 2 of Romans chapter 12 is a truth that we need to hover over for just a little bit, and so as we take a step back before we take a step forward, uh, would you join me and let's pray as we pick up here. Uh, in the second half of verse 2 here in Romans 12 before we take on verses 3 and 5. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that because of what we gain through our relationship with you through Jesus Christ, your own Son, our Savior, our Lord, that our minds can be transformed and renewed. And Lord, we thank you for that truth. And so, Lord, we pray tonight that that transformative power, Lord, would fall upon us as your children, that we would not forsake of the truth that is here. We are not to be conformed to this world. We're to be transformers of this world, not conformed to it. Uh, help us to learn that truth, to bury it deeply in our hearts. Use us, God, for your glory here in the South Bay and around the world. And God's people all said, Amen. So as I said, we need to take a step back because the context as we begin in, in verse 3, which is really uh, the focus, the context of it really stems from the second half of verse 2 here in Romans 12. And it says there, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And from there, for I say, through the grace given me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly, as God has dealt to each, each one a measure of faith. Whereas we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Incredible handful of verses here in Romans chapter 12. But I want to take this, this first bit of our time to really go back a bit. You see, because it is in and with your mind that we make choices. Amen? That, that's where the battle of choice is actually waged. That is the place which you and I, each individually, have some decisions to make as to what we are going to do and how we are going to act and where we're going to go, how we will ultimately be used, and if and when God shows us what to do, how we'll even do it. There is a principle at foot here that our new nature should be the, the nature that wins out to, to cause us to do all that we do for the glory of the Lord and no longer to allow our fleshly nature to have rule and reign. Amen? You see, it is that newness of your mind. It's what God has already wrought in you that is the starting point for everything else that's going to happen in your life through Christ Jesus. And as your mind is renewed and that growth of renewal occurs, notice what I said, that growth of renewal, because when you give your life to Jesus instantaneously, some things change, amen? 
You're sanctified. You're set apart. You become a believer. You're a child of God. Something happens immediately in you, but that process is a lifelong process of renewal. It's called sanctification. You grow in God's grace. You increase in in ability to be able to put forth a narrative from your life with your deeds, with your actions, with the things that you are, the things that you possess, you now are able to become an even greater tool in the hands of the Lord. And as you grow, God typically uses us in, in more wonderful ways. Initially, we're just doing God, good not to give God a, a, a batch of shame with our lives, amen? When you, first got sh- when you first got saved, I mean, think about where you were. I mean, one day you were that drug addict, or one day you were that alcoholic, or you were in that abusive relationship. You were in a place that was disastrous, and that all goes away, so the Lord isn't getting shame, but he actually wants to take you from no longer giving him shame to actually giving him glory. He wants to change you, Scripture says, from glory to glory, and he does that by renewing our minds. As we move ahead, we, we in essence, move from our fleshly humanness into that beautiful holiness that God gives us. The word that's translated into two words here is actually a single word in the original language, in the Greek language, to be conformed, actually refers to an outward expression of something that's actually happened inwardly. It's an outward expression of something that has happened to you inwardly. In other words, the truth of who you actually are, you see your character, you can fake Because you can act a certain way. You can be what we call a hypocrite. Amen? You can put on a mask. That's what the Greek word means, hypocritus. You can put on a mask and pretend to be something. But ultimately what happens is your mask eventually wears out. And the real you shows up. Who you actually are. You see what's being said here in that sense is the real you is what actually is going to be visible to most people. So it begins by saying to us, do not be conformed to this world. In other words, we're not to masquerade as a worldly person. We're not to flirt with worldly things. We're not to see how close we can get to the world, but rather how far away we can get from the world. You see, a lot of Christians try and live their lives on the border of hell. They try and see how close they can get to still being an unbeliever while claiming that they're a Christian. Can I tell you that's a really dangerous thing to do? For two principal reasons. Number one, you really do not have much understanding that you actually are saved when you're dancing with the devil. Number two, you will not be used of the Lord in in a great way if you cannot be distinguished as one of God's kids. There needs to be something different about us. And so to that end, the Apostle Paul begins this wonderful picture of the usage that we should have in the world as gifts in God's toolbox, as tools in his toolbox. He begins by saying, look, You need to be transformed, not conformed. 
You need to have your mind altered in such a way that the way you think is actually different than the world. Probably most of you know somebody who claims to be a Christian whom you cannot tell by the way they conduct their speech, the way they conduct their life, the way they use their possessions. There is no telling that they're actually a believer. That's very telling. And people in the world look at that and say, I want to be one of those Christians. But see, maybe they don't have that relationship, and so they now think that God is actually okay with that area of sin. It's one of the reasons it's so important that we live holy lives, family. Our lives should be able to be looked at at the most minute level, the most minute detail, and people come to the conclusion, that is someone who loves Jesus. Tough concept, isn't it? Because it grates against everything it is the world. And so you might be saying, well, what in the world? What is the world? You see, the world here is not the globe that we're currently rotating on. The world here is not just a collection of continents, bodies of water, an atmosphere. It's not just nations. It's not just ethnos. Matter of fact, it really isn't those things. The world referred to here is everything that is under the influence currently of the wicked one, just as Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in the second letter in chapter 4. The God of this age is the wicked one. The one who's actually causing a lot of the grief and chaos, the wars and rumors of them, the things that are going on, the violence, all of the fighting, the racism, everything that is happening that is negative in this world that is against God is because this world is ruled right now currently by the wicked one. And he does, throw, does so through an entire system. And that system is massive. It includes a vast majority of the world's governing officials, it includes the systems that we call our courts. It includes the governments of this world. If you don't think they aren't demonically influenced, start looking at a few nations we could name, like North Korea. You think that's of God? Do you think it's of God that other nations attack other nations or take advantage of it? None of that is of the Lord. And so that sway of the wicked one that we're not supposed to be transformed into, but not conformed to this world's image, we're supposed to be transforming this world for the cause of Christ. It's exactly the opposite of what very often happens. In other words, you and I are not supposed to be pressed into the world's mold. We're supposed to be pressing back so that the world is shaped by Jesus. Not conformed, but transformed. Not pressed in, but pushed back. You see, the world is influenced demonically. The world is influenced by the enemy. There's, there's, a, there's a word in German, it's zeitgeist. Time ghosting, or, or ghost of time. It's all the things that, in essence, exist in this world, kind of collected. It's the thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, aspirations. It, it, it kind of is the, is the ghost of time. 
what it literally means. Well, the ghost of this world is not very appealing to the Lord. The things that we think about, the, the leftovers from what has happened on our earth is pretty unpleasing to the Lord. And so we as believers are not to mask ourselves in the things of this world. We're not to be conformed to this world. We're not to be representatives of this world. Family of God. We are to radically stand out for Jesus Christ in this day and time. We should stick out like the thumb that's been hit with a 32-ounce corrugated framing hammer. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's a lot of ouch. We should be standing out. We should be so different than the world that someone should go, man, there's something seriously wrong with you. And that thing that's seriously wrong with believers should be something that's very right because we've been transformed by our minds being renewed. And we wander around completely thinking differently. We shouldn't be thinking like the world. We should not have the world's cares. We should not be seeking after the world's entertainment, the world's counsel, the world's fashions, the world's vocabulary. We should not be after the world's music. We shouldn't be after anything that's in this world. We should be after Jesus. And if we do that, then all the things that are of this world, we're going to have the right understanding of those things. And we'll care about them in the proper way. And so this world right now is an instrument of, of the godless one. And he's actually created a, a pandemic. When we talk about a pandemic, a pandemic is a disease that is universally destructive. It, it's something that would come upon the whole world and sicken it. Satan is sickening the whole world. His activity is sickening the whole world. But we are supposed to have undergone such a divine metamorphosis, a divine transmission of God's character into our lives that we function very much like a, a white blood cell attacking a rogue cell. We are the cure to what ails this world in that sense. Have you undergone that transformation? The word here is metamorphosis, metamorpheo. It, it means that you were once looking like something. Most of you have probably seen a, a moth or a butterfly in a chrysalis. And when you look at those things hanging from underneath the eave of your house, you're like, you, you want to cut them down or spray them with a hose and get them to go. They're ugly. They're disgusting looking. There's this brown, shriveled-up thing. It's like, man, whatever's inside of that could not possibly be good. Can I say that's exactly how you looked to God before you met Jesus? Disgusting, shriveled, dirty, yucky, not very appealing. That's how I looked before I met Jesus. But then that transformation occurs that metamorphosis happens, and out of that chrysalis, out of that cocoon, comes a beautiful butterfly. And those wings are spread, and you're so different than the way you used to be. 
because you have now been transformed. What happened internally inside the chrysalis is now visible. The metamorphosis has transpired. And the glory of the Lord now shines through you in that transformation. That is the picture here. We're not to be conformed. We are to be transformed. These two things work side by side. It's the very process that the Apostle Paul was referring to in the book of Colossians when he said, put off the old man with all of his flesh and put on the new. Let that chrysalis dry up and blow away and and you be the butterfly that God's called you to be. I was down in Brazil a number of years ago and on the edge of the Brazilian rainforest in in an area that's a national park, the the Falls of Iquaçu. And there's a place that's actually known as the Valley of the Butterflies. And when you go there, literally the floor of the jungle is covered with butterfly carcasses. It's like, like you had leaves everywhere except they're butterflies. Every color of the rainbow. It's beautiful. You almost feel bad walking through there. The butterflies are dead. They've, out, they've lived out their life, but the remnant of them having been in this world is still there. The glory still exists. Oh, that we would leave a glorious remnant wherever we go. That our lives would be so different that once that metamorphosis happens, even though we should die, the world would say, there's been beauty in this world because Jeff Gill was here. There was Jesus in this world because I lived out my life in a way that honors the Lord. You see, the way this chiefly happens is with God's Word. As you take in God's Word, that's why David cried out the things he did. As he penned the 119th Psalm, he's saying, look, the Word that I've hidden in my heart, I've hidden there so that I might not sin against you, God. Your Word is a light to my path. It's a lamp to my feet. You see, that adds to your mind the ability to understand and be what God's called you to be so you can be beautiful. So that your life, in that sense, shines brightly for the Lord. That's that transformation. It's right living. It's doing what matters. You you see this this team that's going to Michoacan? They don't have to do that. They don't have to go to Mexico. They don't have to get on a plane and fly to central Mexico. It's not really good in Mexico right now with the earthquake and all the things that are going on. It's not really good in Latin America in general because of the hurricanes and all that's going on. It's a much safer time to stay here. But the beautiful thing is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's the beautiful thing. And that's meant to condemn no one who's not going, so please don't take it that way. All I'm saying is we should all be looking for ways to be the hands, the feet, the mouthpiece, the pocketbook, the the words of, the, the care of, the love of, the goodness of the Lord. 
we're supposed to be his hands and feet. Can you imagine if every believer, if every believer, think of this for a second, if every believer lived out the remainder of their life with the sole purpose of being beautiful for Jesus? Can you imagine? Because we do a fairly good job when we're not trying all that hard. Imagine. Imagine what we could do. Imagine who we could reach. If you gave God everything. Remember, we're supposed to give our bodies to the Lord as this chapter began. We're supposed to submit our mind to Him, our soul to Him, everything to Him. In other words, allow the Lord to mercifully and graciously have every bit of us. Imagine what that looks like. Can I remind you that you actually are, we actually are, each of us individually is the hands and feet of Jesus on this earth. That's what we are. Another wonderful quote from D.L. Moody. He said, on this earth, Jesus has no hands and feet, but our hands and feet. He's in heaven. But he's left our hands and feet here to be his hands and feet. To be his touch, to be his words. To speak forth his transforming words into people's lives. And the way Jesus did that when he was here, by the way, was with the word. Amen? Jesus spoke. What happened when Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, you all know this. When Jesus was being tempted by Satan, what did he do? He didn't pull out a book on psychology. He didn't say, wait a minute, I need to get the disciples. I don't know what to do here. He said, I'm not really sure. I'm so hungry right now. I can't think straight. Jesus himself repeated to Satan the word of God. Every time something happened, what flowed from the lips of our Savior was the word. That's what he used. What do you think we're supposed to be using while we're here? We're supposed to be living out the word of God. During the Second World War, actually directly after it, when Connie and I were living in Austria, we had the privilege of traveling to many cities that were bombed out during the Second World War, during the process of uh, the Allied invasion ultimately into Germany and, and the end of the war in Europe. Uh, one of the things that happened, probably most of you know about it from your history books, that the Germans basically just mercilessly bombed London. They did so with V-2 rockets, which are basically an unguided bomb wing, several thousand pounds as far as the warhead's concerned. But there were rockets, and they would whistle when they would fly across the channel. and made a very loud whistling sound, and then they would just arbitrarily land and blow up a very large chunk of the city of London. The Germans had no idea where they were going to land. They basically just charged them up and let them go. But after the war, there was a whole group of German college students who realized that their own families had been responsible for the arbitrary destruction of one of the older cities on the European continent, the city of London. And so they volunteered to go and help restore the city. And while they couldn't rationally think about restoring businesses and things like that, when their own country was so ravaged, they volunteered to go 
and rebuild any church or cathedral that had been blown up. The first place that they went to, a very, very large cathedral in London, had been nearly completely blown to bits. All that was left basically was the altar and two walls. And so they began with the altar, and on that altar was a very large picture, a very large statue, rather, of Christ with his outstretched arms, and underneath it, the verse, it says, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, for I will give you rest. But his hands were blown off. When the bombs detonated, it took off basically all the appendages uh, of the statue of Jesus. And they worked feverishly to try and find someone who could do the restoration work, and ultimately they decided not to put Jesus' hands back on. And instead, if you travel to that cathedral today, underneath it is an inscription from those German students, we are his hands. That's us. We are his hands. We have been since he left. We're supposed to be saying, come unto him, all you who are heavy laden, burdened down, weighted down by the world, don't know what to do in this life. Let me tell you about my Jesus because he can give you rest. That family is being transformed by the renewing of your mind because that is not a natural response when your own hometown has been blown to bits. That's the response of someone who actually loves Jesus. That's someone who knows what it's all about. You see, on the human side of this equation, surely God is sovereign and surely God can do things without us. He does all the time. But he delights to use us because in it he receives glory. But primarily in this world, it's upon our faithfulness, our obedience, our work, our walk, us submitting ourselves to his wonderful plans for our lives, us saying, Lord, nevertheless, not Jeff's will be done, but your will be done. It's upon that faithfulness that the Lord is building his kingdom. People come to faith in Christ because they've heard the word of God through someone's lips. Can he use rocks and trees? Yes. Does he use rocks and trees? Yes. But he wants to use your mouth. He wants to use your hands. He wants to use your wallet, your home, your car, the very breath of life that he's breathed into you. Because in that sense, we are his hands and feet. And in that light, it's really about devotion. Because if you've had a transformed mind, if it's been renewed, if it's been made new, then you're ready to serve him. Too many people get this backwards. They think if they just serve the Lord, that that shows that they're devoted. And that's not necessarily the case. Lots of things have been done in the name of Jesus by people who don't even know him. I, I actually had a, I had a friend that was gone on to be with Jesus. I had a friend that I was in ministry with for more than a decade. 
that came to me after a decade, and he shared with me, he said, the first 10 years in ministry, I wasn't even a believer. I did not know Jesus Christ personally. And I know people that this guy led to the Lord Jesus while he was not saved. Less keep a warm place for me up there in heaven. But he led people to faith in Christ. I watched him do it. Could share the gospel like nobody's business. Told the wackiest stories you ever heard in your entire life, and people were enamored by it. But he didn't know Jesus personally. That's not the way it's supposed to work. You're supposed to be so internally transformed that what's happened to you internally can't help but escape and become part of your daily reality. You're supposed to have an outflow of your worship because you love the Lord so deeply and so wonderfully, you are absolutely ready to do anything God tells you to do. Because you love him. Not because you're afraid you're going to get punished if you don't go to Africa. And by the way, that was my story. I was absolutely scared to death that God was going to send me to Africa. I know it. He's going to send me to Africa. Connie and I's pastor at the time at the Baptist Church, Dr. Nosworthy, who married us, was a missionary in Africa, and he would tell stories about Africa, and I'd listen to his stories about Africa, and I'm going, yeah, well, I'd, oh no, I'm going to have to do that too. And there's black mambas and cobra, you know, and he would just tell all this stuff. Yeah, we were eating, and our kids were playing with a black mamba, and you're, I don't want to go. You see, I was worried I had to go to Africa in order to prove that I love Jesus. And that's not how it works. If God calls you to Africa, he's going to give you a love to go to Africa because you already love Jesus. That's the way it works. Because you go to mission trips, because you already love Jesus. And you need to do something out of your heart to just remind the Lord, Lord, I love you. You see, but you don't have to do it that way. You can play with it. You can be fake about it. You can have an untransformed life, and you can pretend to be a Christian. And I can tell you I've listened to an awful lot of heart-wrenching stories. In all the decades of ministry, I have listened to countless stories, and they usually go something like this. Well, Pastor Jeff, I've, I've driven my wife away. She left and took the kids. You see, I taught her how to be a Christian on Sunday only. But when I got home, I screamed and yelled and I drank. And I abused her. And I had an affair. And she found out about it. And and I told her I'd repent. And I even got out the Bible. And I said, honey, we need to pray more. We need to read the Bible together. But it was too late. 
because she wasn't going to believe a thing because I had lived my life as a hypocrite. You see, you need to be devoted, and then the service matters. You got to get those things right. God will give you gifts. God will use you. But God doesn't want you hindering the work that he's going to do, so he's not going to give you a whole lot of fruitfulness unless you're really devoted to him. And once you're really devoted to him, it's a crazy ride. It's amazing. I, sometimes Connie and I wake up, oh, I don't know what's going to happen next. It's going to be awesome. Probably going to die doing it. And somehow you have joy in it. Because there's devotion. You just love Jesus. And if you die loving Jesus, you win. But if you die doing stuff, but you don't love Jesus, you lose. So have your mind transformed. Let God show you what those gifts are. Because he wants to use them. And when we talk about gifts, can I, can I please remind you that the gifts that are being talked about in this place are not just the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and gentleness and meekness, and it's not the offices, pastor, teacher, apostle, evangelist, prophet, those kinds of things. It's just simply a spiritual gifting you have to use what God is doing in your life for divine purposes. So in that sense, I watched some godly painters today. Some gifted painters who honored the Lord with a paintbrush. I've watched people in construction projects honor the Lord. I've watched airline pilots fly planes into dangerous places for the glory of God. I have been with people whose gift is to be able to prepare meals for hundreds of people at a time with absolutely zero thanks. I've watched people wash the wounds of people who are dying for the glory of God. I've watched people wash the hair of homeless people for the glory of God. Yes, I've watched people lead Bible studies and be missionaries. But I've watched people pick up trash and clean parking lots for the glory of God. I've watched people with utter joy handle technology which not one other person in this room can even explain, much less use. I've watched people sit endlessly and write code for computer programs so that our website functions to the glory of God. God has given you gifts. Can I tell you that being a fantastic mom is a gift that honors the Lord? Can I tell you that being a dad who cares about his kids and gets home in time to go to their baseball games that is a gift that God wants to use. Can I tell you anything that you do in the name of Jesus and for his glory is a way to use gifts for the king?
So don't put this in a little tiny box and say, well, I'm not a prophet. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Can you bake cookies? We can use you for the glory of the Lord. You watch the ladies back up. There's five and a half thousand cookies go down to Camp Pendleton. You talk about some Marines that love that. That's for the glory of Jesus. I've watched kids play miniature golf to the glory of the Lord. Don't despise your gift because you've got one. Your Bible says everyone has a spiritual gift. Maybe yours is just being kind. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality. Maybe you're just good at having people over to your house and making them feel at home. You want to make sure you use those gifts. There's three things from verse 3 to 5 that we'll draw out in a way to use those things. The first one, notice verse 3. For through the grace given to me, oh man, have I been given grace. I don't know if you ever do this to where you just sit down and you weep because of the grace of God in your life. I do. There are times when I can't believe God saved a wretch like me. I'm with John Newton. I'm like, who saved a wretch like me? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. The grace given to me, and I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. That is the definition of humility. And that's the very humility that Jesus Christ had when he rode into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. It's what we saw that last week of his life in Jerusalem. Utter humility. Recognizing that everyone could relate to a humble high priest, but no one would be able to relate to the glory of heaven. If heaven came down to earth in all of its glory and splendor, we'd just all die. We'd go, there's the glory of the Lord. Fried instantly on the spot because of the majesty of the glory of God. Instead, God sends his own son in the form of a man to weep with us and cry with us, to bleed for us, to sweat, to be hungry, to touch the untouchable, to speak to the unspoken person, to do all that was necessary so that we might know the massive grace that God has heaped upon us. A grace given to me. How can any Christian, brothers and sisters, how can any Christian get past the grace of God? I don't know how you do it. Now, I can't say as I haven't tried. Probably like many of you, humility is not my normal state of being. I think for most men, I would say it's fairly safe to say that we struggle with pride occasionally. Amen, men? I'll 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 put my name on top of the list. Y'all can sign underneath. I struggle with pride. How's that for you? 
but praise God by His grace, recognizing who I really am. You know how highly I ought to think of myself? A wretch like me. I am a recipient of the grace of God. I should have died in my sin. But God in His infinite mercy and His wonderful grace reached into my life. The gospel was shared with me and I responded by faith. There's no way that I earned that. But think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. You see, humility ought to be at the top of every one of our lists because there is no good thing in me. There is none righteous, not one. And yes, we have the righteousness of Christ in our account. And yes, we can live godly in Christ Jesus. But that's all on Jesus. It's not because you're holy. It's because he's holy. It's not because you're good. It's because he's good. It's not because you earned it. He paid for it. You understand? Do you get it? That should produce a level of humility in you that should not ever go away. I love being a pastor. I love teaching God's Word. I love helping people understand it. But it's a gift that God gave me. It's not something that I brought to Him. It's something He did in me. I'm here because of the grace of God. I can speak because he fills my lungs with air. I have the voice and the tonal quality I have because he made me this way. I didn't sit down and go, I need to be a guest speaker. (laughs) No, he, he chose to take a clay pot and dump treasure into it and say, now Jeff, would you just open your mouth and share the treasure that I put in? We should be humble. We should be humble, family. Our gifts are from God. Our grace comes from Him. Our faith comes from Him. We serve Him by grace and through faith. We can't boast about it. So it should create a humble heart in every last one of us. And while I say that, there's been grace given to you as well. Don't devalue that grace by saying you don't have value to God. God didn't save you to ruin you. He saved you to use you. God didn't save you to humiliate you. He saved you to bless you. And because that's the case, you need to be very grateful to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you should honor Him by saying, yes, this is what Jesus has done for me. Don't deny him. But don't take credit for it either. Be humble. Let God use those things that he's done in your life. Me personally, I've been wrong on both extremes. I have believed in my life that God couldn't use me, and I acted like it. Uh, And I have believed that God 
is obligated to use me, and if he doesn't, he's an idiot. Just being honest. Ask Connie, she'll tell you. Jeffrey, pride and arrogance, Gill. Don't make God teach you the humility lesson the hard way. Can I just tell you that? Because he loves you enough to not leave you ahead of him. You don't want him to buckle your knees. You want to bow your knee. Amen? Use your gifts in humility. Whatever they are, give God the glory. The second thing, the proper relationship for this action, for this use of gifts is unity and diversity. Notice what he says. Verses 4 and 5. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, oh, praise the Lord God, amen? He's using the physical body actually as an analogy here. Aren't you glad that not everything on you is a hand? You ever try walking on your hands? I'm glad I have feet. And I'm glad I have toes on those feet, not fingers on those feet. And I'm glad my ears don't look like my hands. And they don't function like my hands. They function like my ears. It's the picture that's being used here. I don't have the same function. So we, us, the church, the whole church, the entire body, who are many, Look around the room. Do you realize how many gifts are in this room? Wonderful, beautiful, glorious gifts are one body in Christ. I had someone challenge me a couple of weeks ago, and they were, they were just going off on this whole thing. Well, you know, we need to be distinct within the body of Christ, and there's, there's lots of different churches, and they were telling me about all the doctrinal differences of all the people that they could name. And I said, so you disagree with Jesus, Paul, Peter, and John? He looked at me like he had a third eye. I said, they all said the same thing. Jesus said, I wish that they were one as I and my Father are one. How many is one? And I said, then the Apostle Paul said, I I want them to be one, but many. How many is one? One. So how many churches are there? There's exactly one. We have many parts to that body. But there is one church, and it should all function together. It is a shame on the body of Christ that it is not so. It stains the name of the Lord when the church can't get along with the church. Because our Bible says that we, being many, are one. Unity and diversity is what's in view. Complete, total, and utter unity. The function here, the word there is the, is the Greek word praxis. And, and it means doing something, something that's a deed. It, it, it Connote something that you can do that maybe I can't, but what you do is essential to me and what I do is essential to you. That type of unity. 
Do you ever look at the body of Christ and go, I need every single person in this world who's in the body of Christ? I can pretty much guarantee you most of us don't. Matter of fact, you might be looking around the sanctuary, I can do without him, I can do without her, I can do without her, I can do without him. But from God's perspective, he sees every one of us as absolutely essential to the function of the body. Now you may be saying, Jeff, you're crazy. No, I'm telling you, that's exactly what your Bible says, and it is exactly what it means. God sees the body of Christ as an organism that absolutely needs every single member. 100%. It doesn't say except for. Now here's the problem. Not every part of the body plays the way they're supposed to play. Amen? We got some rogue cells. We got some parts of the body that are their contrary. Now, you have two knees. And when one knee decides that it wants to go rogue on you, you kind of want to trade that one in, don't you? For perhaps titanium, stainless steel, some form of metal and plastic, little Teflon in there. But can I tell you, the real knee is always better than the fake one. That's the way God intended. The reason that artificial knee actually does a function is because you've destroyed the real one. You see, God's plan is that all the real parts be used in exactly the way that they were created. So you're not in sin if you have an artificial knee, so don't, you know. (laughs) This is analogous. Just trying to say the best knee is the real one. And the same is true for the entire body of Christ. The best you is you. The best me is me. And I'm supposed to fit that perfect purpose for which God put me on this earth and do everything that God wants me to do. Oh, that we would do that. Because that gives us unity and diversity. Great book, if you've never read it, I really encourage you. It's called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Dr. Yancey and Dr. Brand, Paul Brand. Dr. Brand worked with leprosy patients for more than a decade. And he began to examine the human body. And there's so much of it, I'd, I'd like to read half of it to you. But speaking of the body's cells, he said this. He said, at first I'm struck by their variety. Chemically, my cells are almost alike. In other words, when you look at the average cell, they're made up of mostly the same stuff. But he said, visually and functionally, they're as different as animals in the zoo. Red blood cells are discs that resemble lifesaver candies, and they voyage through my blood, loaded with oxygen to feed the other cells. Muscle cells absorb all of that nutrient. They're sleek and supple and coiled for energy. Cartilage shells are shiny. They have a little black nuclei in them, like a bunch of black-eyed peas all glued together for strength. Fat cells even actually look lazy laden down, bulging like white plastic trash bags jammed together. Bone cells are almost liquid when they first develop, but then they harden. And he goes on to describe most of the cells in the body in that chapter. He talks about nerve cells and all those things. But he says it's just like the body of Christ. 
We're all made out of the same thing. We were all made in the image of God. We all have the same basic components. But we have very different DNA. Unique DNA. We all have different gifts that God's given us. We all do different things. Locked away and coded in that marvelous manual that is you. That if you wrote it out, would be a, a thousand volumes. Think about this. A thousand volumes of 500 to 600 pages is what it would take to, to write down the encoded information that's contained within your DNA. Just for you. And yet all of that uniqueness still doesn't leave you outside of the body of Christ. You're wonderfully you, but you're wonderfully part of the body as well. Your wonderful uniqueness was designed by God to complement everyone else's wonderful uniqueness. Take it as a challenge. Use yourself for the glory of the Lord. And finally, how do we function in this? You see, the proper way to have this type of action is for us to cooperate with each other. It's for us to recognize that that we have an obligation to come alongside and let your gifts be a bolster to mine and mine to you. And ours to each other. And this church to other churches. And all people to other people as the team heads down to to Michoacan with Pastor Horton Jose. You know, as I, as I think, of, here's, here's a young man that came out of this church that's halfway down the country of Mexico. And what's going to show up is part of his family. That's what's going to show up. Not some odd group of people. It's literally part of his family. His brothers and sisters are going to show up. And they're going to come alongside and lift up his weary hands and provide for him things that the Lord hasn't provided any other way. You see, that's the faithful cooperation we're supposed to have when our minds have been renewed, when we have been transformed, when we have not been conformed to this world because the world says, you take care of yourself, right? You do what's best for you. That's what the world says to you every day. If you don't believe it, watch five minutes of television. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. Every ad on television is about you getting something because you deserve it. You deserve a break today. So go out and get away. (laughs) Take care of you because nobody else will. And God says, spend yourself for my glory. Give yourself away. Multiply yourself. You see, that type of faithful cooperation leads to us doing things that are mind-boggling. There's nothing we can't do if we actually live this way. You plus me plus all of us, mind-boggling. We need to take those gifts and use them as tools to build with, not weapons to fight with.
You see, if we actually take the right living that we saw last time in the first couple of verses and we translate it into right living, it brings tremendous glory to God. Amen? Let's do that. Let's honor the Lord by not being conformed, but being transformed and then taking what God has done in our lives and spending ourselves for his glory and his glory alone. Father, we thank you for the beauty of your word, for the power that it has to transform us and to renew us. And we pray, God, that as we dedicate ourselves to your purposes, your plans, if there's any remnant of the world left in us, that you'd take care of it. Lord, break it down, destroy it. God, that our lives would be so much like you, Jesus, that people would stop and stare. They would wonder what's wrong with us, and we could tell them what's right with us. That we've come face to face with the King of Kings. And you saved us. Father, take our gifts and multiply them. Take this church and use us around the world. Lord, we're your kids and want to be faithful to your calling. So we invite you to use us. Lord, humble us where we need to be made humble. Glorify yourself by giving us gifts and help us to use those gifts exclusively for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.